Thanks for joining us today for the Fellowship Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit fbcpanamacity.com. Now, here's today's message. Take our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter number one this morning. Romans chapter number one. And uh, as uh, Pastor Josh had mentioned, I'm excited uh, to start this new series uh, going through the book of Romans. And uh, as I went through it and, and started to put kind of get together uh, a game plan and going through the book of Romans, uh, we're going to probably have at least 50 messages uh, in the book of Romans. So we're going to be here for a little while, uh, but I'm thankful for the book of, Re- uh, of Romans. Uh, it is a, a wonderful book. Uh, many of the greatest Christian leaders have considered it the most important theological book ever written. Um, Martin Luther said it was the chief book of the New Testament and that its central premise, justification by faith alone, was the doctrine on which the church rises and falls. Uh, It was the study of this book, the book of of Romans, that launched the Protestant Reformation. And it's a very powerful book. And Paul is the one who wrote this letter Uh, He wrote it to the churches there in Rome. Uh, He wrote it uh, with his scribe, Tertius, uh, around AD 56, 57, um, is around the time frame that this book uh, was written. Uh, There is a a lot of different uh, debate, I guess you could say, uh, or opinions on what the overall theme might be of the book of Romans. Um, A lot of uh, about the gospel uh, is found in the book of Romans. Um, But also we see the righteousness of God. Um, In the first chapter, after we get through the greeting uh, of Romans chapter number one, starting in verse number 18 through through chapter three, verse number 20, it talks about our need for the righteousness of God. Starting in in chapter three, verses 21, that Pastor Josh uh, spoke on last uh, last week, uh, through the end of chapter number five, it talks about the imputation of God's righteousness. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Uh, let me try that again. Aren't you thankful for the imputation of God's righteousness on our account this morning? Um, and then it goes on to talk about the implications of God's righteousness, the vindication of God's righteousness, and then the practice of God's righteousness. And so all throughout the book of Romans, we see the righteousness of God. But the Roman church was a mix of Gentiles and Jews. And you'll see throughout this book, as Paul begins to write, that there was a conflict between these two. And it wasn't an ethnic issue, it was a theological issue. The Jewish Christians required their followers uh, to observe the Jewish law, that was their, their problem. Uh, while the Gentile Christians were supporters of a moral law-free gospel or antinomianism is what we, we call it today. But Paul saw the need to help both of these in, uh, groups of people, the Gentiles and the Jews. And Paul desired to be a peacemaker and he was really in a unique position to help reconcile. Uh, he was a Jew, Paul was a Jew. And he loved his people. And in chapter number nine, in verses one through three, he talks about his love for the Israelite people, that he'd rather be accursed than to see them be condemned. And he loved the Israelite people, but he was also 
commissioned by Jesus Christ himself to go with the gospel to the Gentile nations. And so he was in a unique position in order to reconcile them. And we find here in the book of Romans that Paul was determined to not compromise the truths of the gospel and at the same time determined to resolve the conflict between the Jews and the Gentiles in Rome. And so that's what we find here uh, throughout the book of Romans. And so Paul's going to show them how the gospel creates a new humanity. You know, once you accept the, the good news of Jesus Christ and what he has done for you, the Bible says that you are now a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so he's going to tell them that it, the gospel creates a new human, humanity that gives them the ability to overcome their differences and to help them unite. And so we're going to look at the first part of Paul's greeting this morning to the church to the churches at Rome. Um, and, and in this first part of this greeting, he tells us that he is, and, and, and he, sorry, the first part of this greeting, he tells us who he is. And then he goes on to tell us uh, the, the message that he is committed to, or as he says in verse number one, separated unto, and that is the gospel of God. And so number one, as we look at this uh, passage of scripture. I've entitled this message, Paul's greeting, the man and the message. And so I want us to first look at the man. Who was Paul? Look at verse number one with me, if you would. The Bible says this, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. He gives us an explanation. He gives the churches at Rome the explanation of who he is. Paul tells us, tells the Romans, first and foremost, he is a believer. He is saved. He calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ. Servant here literally means slave. Now, in those days, in that Greco-Roman culture, they would know exactly uh, what he was talking about here as a servant. It was a very common thing in that day. But what Paul was telling them is that, hey, he had a master and his name was Jesus Christ. He was a man that was under authority. And the Bible says that we have been, the Bible says that we as believers have been bought with a price. Amen. We are not our own. And Paul understood that. And he said, I'm a servant. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. But secondly, Paul says he was called to be an apostle. He is an apostolos, a Greek word meaning sent one, right? This was not a job that Paul uh, went out and selected, all right? Paul didn't send in his resume to become an apostle, right? He was called to be an apostle from the risen Savior Jesus Christ himself, and so he, he's telling them, he's giving them the, this authority that he has, that, that Jesus directly told him and commissioned him to go. So he has direct authority from Christ to teach. And so as we look at these two titles, it's interesting when they're contrasted. First, a slave. It shows, that, it shows his humility, doesn't it? Paul was expressing his personal insignificance, without rights of his own, because he was now bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And while apostle was a title of great authority, 
it expressed his privilege of being appointed by Jesus Christ himself. But why did the Lord call Paul to be his apostle? Well, he says here in verse number one, so that he would be separated unto the gospel of God. Now that word translated separated means to be moved away and apart from everything else. What was Paul saying? Paul was saying that he was separated to the gospel to pursue this one overriding aim in his life. This is what Paul is going to slave for all of his life. But it's also something that he's going to rejoice in all through his life. To Paul, this gospel is so great that he was willing to separate himself from anything. This gospel was so great in Paul's life that he was willing to be shipwrecked for him. He was willing to be beaten. He was willing to be thrown into prison. He was willing to to be a slave to the gospel. No matter if it meant separating from health or wealth or acclaim or friends or safety, He wanted to separate himself according to that call. And we must understand here today, church, that if you are a believer today, if you've accepted Jesus Christ and his completed work for you, and you've put your faith and trust in him and in him alone, you today are a servant of Jesus Christ. You today are a servant of Jesus Christ. We have a master. We have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We are not our own. But let me also say that we are also commissioned to go with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't believe there are no apostles in here today because that apostolic age is over. Those were the individuals who, who were able to see the risen Savior and were commissioned by Jesus Christ. So we are not commissioned to be an apostle, but we are commissioned to go with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul understood that, hey, he recognized, he wanted to let the Romans know that he was a servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. That's the man. That's who he was. But then secondly, I want us to look at this message. The message that he was separated unto. First of all, I want us to see uh, what, what is this gospel for which Paul is willing to glory in being a slave to? What gospel would make Paul happy to lose everything in order to share it. It, must, it had to be something powerful, right? This, this gospel that he set apart to, that he separated unto. First of all, I, I think it's worth looking at the word itself, gospel. Well, the first reason why he was separated into this gospel is because the gospel is good news, amen? It's good news. In the first century, if in, on a battlefield, an emperor won a great victory, which secured his peace and established his authority, he would send out these heralds to declare his victory and his peace and his authority. And put most simply, the gospel is an announcement. It's a declaration. The gospel is not advice to be followed. Amen? It is news. It is good news about what Jesus has done for us. And the Apostle Paul is the herald of this announcement. But also, it's a good reminder that the gospel is not Paul's. What does he say? He's separated unto the gospel of God. 
The gospel of God. This is not Paul's. Rather, it is of God. We, like Paul, which shows us that we, like Paul, are, are not at liberty to reshape the gospel. To sound more appealing to this lost world. We have people that say, that try to reshape the gospel and say, there are many ways to heaven. We can't do that. It's the gospel of God. There is only one way, and Jesus Christ is the, the way, the truth, and the life. And so he says, hey, this is the gospel of God, which also shows us that we cannot domesticate it to be more comfortable for our lives. It is the gospel of God. But not only is it good news, not only is it the message of the good news of God, but also it is not new news. It is not new news. Look at verse number two. The Bible says this. Uh, sorry, we'll, we'll start at the end of verse number one. Separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. You see, God promised the gospel beforehand by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The Old Testament is all about the gospel. All of the scriptures point forward to this announcement, to this good news that Paul is separated unto. One commentator said it this way. I love how he said it. He said that the scriptures are the scaffold on which Paul stands as God's herald. You see, in Genesis, he was the word of God that created the heavens and the earth Jesus was the fulfillment of the promise that God gave to Eve when, she, when he said, hey, I'm going to give you a seed that's going to crush the head of the serpent. Or what about in Exodus when he's a picture of the Passover lamb? In Leviticus where he's a, a symbol or a picture of the holy place where we meet with God. Or Numbers, he was our ever-present guide, our pillar of cloud. From Deuteronomy, he was the prophet coming who would be greater than Moses. And that's just in the first five books, friends. But understand, uh, we find that all throughout in Isaiah, he was the one that was going to be wounded for our transgressions, right? The chastisement of our sin would be upon him. In the book of Micah, Jesus is the everlasting ruler born to us in Bethlehem. In Zechariah, he's the king who comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, he was the one betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. He was the son who was pierced, whom one day every son would one day behold. And 300 other specific prophecies that tell us the time, the place, the character, and the ministry of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Understand that the good news is not, news as, is not new news as in 2,000 years ago. It's been good news before the foundation of the world. And so he says, hey, this gospel message, it is good news. It is from God, but it's not new news. You've, you've been directed to this, this moment, this time where Jesus would be the Messiah. But then he, he really gets into the meat of this message. Uh, the, the content of this gospel message that he is separated unto. Look at verse number three. This, this gospel of God is concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Listen, the content of the gospel is his son, Jesus Christ. 
This message that Paul is separated unto centers on Jesus. It's about a person, not a concept. It's about him and not us. And we will never grasp the gospel until we understand that it is not fundamentally a message about our lives or our dreams or our hopes. The gospel is a declaration about God's son, the man, Christ Jesus. Amen? That's the gospel. It is of his son. Now, who is this son? Well, he tells us here in verse number three, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. You see, this son was fully human. The Bible says that he was according to the flesh. He was the one who fulfilled the promises of scripture, right? He was the seed of David. David was the king of Israel a millennium before. And God had promised David that from his family, God would produce the ultimate final king of the universe. And that was Jesus Christ. And David's own life, his ruling, his rule, his suffering, his glory, in many ways foreshadowed that of his greater seed. So he was fully human. But not only that, this son was divine. This son was divine. Look at verse number four. And declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Can I get an amen this morning? Listen, he is the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection, amen? The resurrection from the dead. See, Paul isn't saying that Jesus only became God's son when he was raised from the grave. Rather, he's he's outlining two great truths about the resurrection. First, he's showing us that the empty tomb is, is the, is the great declaration of who Jesus is, right? His resurrection removes all doubt that he is the son of God, amen? He was seen of the 11. He was seen by Paul himself and by 500 other individuals at the same time. But second, his resurrection and ascension were his path to his rightful place, to his rule at God's right hand, sitting at the highest place, given the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Listen, God's son had humbly become a man and he tasted poverty. He endured rejection and suffered a horrendous death, but he did not stay dead, amen? Praise God, he was raised on the third day according to the spirit of holiness. The resurrection is where we see not only that he is the son of God, but that he is now the son of God in power. God's son is Jesus. Listen, the Greek version of the Hebrew name Yeshua means God will save. Listen, Jesus is the fulfiller of all God promised beforehand. In verse number two, he is Christ. He is the anointed man whom God has appointed to rule his people. And he is our Lord God himself. And understand church, that was the message. That is the news that Paul was separated unto. He was separated unto the gospel. That's what mattered most to him was Jesus. Jesus. But then we see 
here in verse number five, the purpose of this message. The purpose of this message. Look at verse number five. By whom, by whom, by who, Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Simply stated, the gospel is intended to bring people of all nations to be obedient for the faith and be saved. In more detail, Paul speaks of how three different parties fit into this plan or this purpose. Number one, Jesus is the one who commissions the carriers of the gospel. Jesus is the one. This fact is seen in the by whom in verse number five. By whom? Which refers back to God's son, Jesus Christ. Right? Paul intends for his readers to realize that the authority of the Lord Jesus lies behind his commission to preach and teach the gospel. And let me say that that still remains today. Amen? He has called us to preach and to teach the gospel. Jesus himself has commissioned us to do that. And we must take it seriously as Paul does here. But also, Paul, number two, Paul and the other carriers of the gospel receive their office from the Lord. You see, their position and their purpose are set for them by heavenly authority. That word that Paul uses, he uses apostleship. It means the apostolic position. Notice that that Paul links the word grace. Look what he says in verse number five. By whom we have received grace and apostleship. And so what what it shows us here is that his position of service as an apostle of Christ is a grace. He viewed it as a grace, as a position that was undeserved. Amen? It was a position to him that was undeserved, but it was given him by God's sovereign favor. Paul frequently in scripture, he refers to his apostleship as a grace. I want to read one example. In Ephesians chapter 3, And verses seven and eight, he said this, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me who am less than the least of all saints. Is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? Let me say today, it is a grace from God that we have been entrusted with the gospel. It is a grace. It is an undeserved privilege that we have to go to the nations with the good news of God's son, Jesus Christ. I hope it is for you. Listen, if it's not, it's a problem. If the first part of verse number five refers to the position that Paul had, then the last part summarizes the purpose of that position, okay? So what's the position? He's an apostle. But what's the purpose of that position? For obedience to the faith among all nations, for his name. What he's saying here is to give faith a hearing among all nations. You know that this gospel message is for all. Amen? Do you believe that today? This gospel message is for all. He says all nations. It's very significant that the gospel is for, for any man. And Paul's office was unlimited by, by race 
or by place, and he was called to give faith a hearing everywhere and anywhere. And so are we, church. So are we. But I want us to really look at this phrase at the end. He says, for his name. For his name. It literally means in behalf of his name. This reminds us again that the gospel carrier is representing not himself, but Jesus Christ. Listen, the one who sends us out. And let me say this. If you don't get anything, get this 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 morning. The highest of all gospel proclaiming motives is neither obedience to the great commission, which that's important, or nor love for sinners who are perishing as strong as an incentive that might be. The greatest gospel proclaiming motive is rather zeal. It is a burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. And let me say today, church, that when we go with the gospel of Jesus Christ to all nations, may we go with, with, the, with, the, uh, with the attitude of, hey, I want to bring glory to my Savior's name. Not that we can say, look, pat me on the back. Look what I've done. Look who I've led to Christ. Look how our church is growing in numbers. But to say, Lord Jesus, we want to bring you glory. It's for his name. It's for his sake. But then lastly, number three, we see that the Romans are part of the all nations. In verse number six, it makes this point. He says, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ, among whom refers back to all nations. And so Paul is telling them that, hey, you are also included in this. Aren't you thankful, church, that, that God called Paul to the Gentile nations? Amen. That the gospel is not just for the Jews, God's chosen people, but he, he made it available to us. Paul says, I want you to know that you are, he he goes on to say in verse number seven, that you are beloved of God. You are called to be saints. He says, this is for you, this wonderful message that I am set apart. I am separated unto this wonderful, good, precious news is for you. Romans is a book much about the gospel. It is one of the most clearest in-depth look at the gospel in all of scripture. But here's where people miss the boat. You see, the book that Paul writes here is written to the saints. It's written to the believers. Christians miss the boat on this because they think that the gospel is only for unbelievers. But Paul is going to show us throughout this wonderful book of Romans that in the gospel all are all the resources that we need to thrive in this Christian life. You see, the gospel is not just the way you begin the Christian life, it's the way you grow in the Christian life. One commentator says it like this, it's not just the diving board, but the pool. Church, let's sum it up this morning. Our immediate response, our, sorry, our, our immediate purpose in proclaiming the gospel is to bring people to the obedience of faith. But our ultimate goal 
is the greater glory of the name of Jesus Christ. And I ask you, church, this morning, will you be a servant of Christ, separated unto the gospel of God, which is the good news according to the scriptures about Christ for the nations unto the obedience of faith and for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. Will you, church, be a servant of Jesus Christ, separated unto the gospel of God? Thanks for listening to this sermon from Fellowship Baptist Church. Come visit us at 2501 Michigan Avenue, Panama City, Florida. For more information, check out fbcpanamacity.com. Have a great week.